hi, my name is uh, Shlomi Ron. I'm a co-founder at the Visual Storytelling Institute based here in sunny Miami, Florida. Uh, a little bit about what we do. We help marketers like you uh, rise above the communication noise uh, with personalized visual storytelling program. So you can connect better with your audience, empower their lives and grow faster your company. In this episode, I wanted to explore one of the less uh, talked about topics uh, which is in visual storytelling and in general in communication, which is a offline branded environment through art. I know it's kind of a very loaded term, uh, but that's why I wanted to bring the expert to kind of unpack it uh, for us today. And, but in general, what I'm talking about is really those visual narratives you most likely have seen in when you visit a major cor a corporate office like Google of the world and you see there's a very fancy art uh, throughout, uh, integrated throughout the space. Could be a sculpture, it could be painted art, and it's typically uh, commissioned uh, by brands uh, to support their unique culture uh, in both customer facing and corporate offices to uh, bring up engagement with the employees. So to tell us a little bit more about this fascinating space uh, of branded environments and the role of art in it, uh, I invited, uh, I'm super excited actually, to have uh, on our show, Abby uh, Melsheimer and Gustavo Tonelli, uh, owners of Chili Pop, a branded environments design company that's based here in uh, Miami, but uh, is also active uh, around the world. So welcome to the show, Abby and Gustavo. Thank you for having us, Shlomi. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and thank you for, for throwing the label experts at us. I, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't well, go unnoticed. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> you know, yeah, I've been uh, really following your trajectory, uh, you know, since, you know, the first day I met uh, Abby, I think it was a social media week uh, in one of the, uh, it was the Miami Ad School, and then from then on, we kept uh, in touch. And she, uh, you know, uh, told me about uh, the work that you guys are doing, and uh, and then we started uh, kind of collaborating a little bit. And that's where I really got to know more about this fascinating space uh, that uh, you're working at. So, for our viewers and our listeners, uh, maybe you can. Uh, uh, Tell us a little bit about, uh, about your backstory, how you got started in this space, because uh, not a lot of people know what is the journey it takes. Sure. I don't know that it's a very straightforward journey, so I may not advise anyone to go this route. <laughs> yep. But um, uh, it, it definitely lines itself up. So um, I studied interior architecture and worked doing corporate interiors uh, for quite a while. Uh, in New York and around the world um, for global brands. And in doing so, um, I realized that there is an opportunity and there is a space um, that already exists, I didn't create this, um, for branded environments. And you know, in, in working from a corporate interiors perspective with clients, um, you run into a lot of um, you know, conversations or even misconceptions about uh, about what that is. And, you know, sometimes you'll run into instances, and this is clearly not every client by any means, but you'll run into instances where 
you know, a client just wants to put a logo everywhere or right. just kind of like overdo the obvious. Um, and the reality is like once someone steps into your space, there's a good chance they know where they are. So you need to give them kind of one level up about who you really are, truly are in terms of who you are as your values, who you are as an organization um, and that sort of thing. So I, I began to shift um, much more to the branded environments route um, a little bit in a, in a funny way and you know, went to graphics and then worked way, my way through doing um, and worked a lot in, in brand as well and helping build brands um, and then kind of shifted and almost merged the two um, to, to kind of really focus on, on branded environments. So, so, it, so it sounds that you started uh, really on the agency side as a designer. Yep, that's exactly right. So, and, and design is still very much, I mean, we'll get into it. It's very, um, it's probably almost like the strongest leg for what we do because a lot of things is, is right. led design and design process. So, um, and then all the other components come together. And Gustavo? I think, I mean, um, it's funny something that Avi mentioned and I, not long ago we were meeting with uh, colleagues, a uh, competing firm in the same spectrum that we occupy, and they were telling us exactly the, the, the problem that they run when they try to recruit someone, because how do you recruit someone to work in what we do, right? Like the, the background to be anything. And, uh, and, I, and I think that um, I am a, a perfect example for that. <laughs> I work in marketing most of my life, particularly in music and television. Um, but the, I, I was always on the, on the creative side. I got like, I had a radio station, so I, I, I did photography. Um, so although on my corporate side, I was trying to market, uh, companies and content on my personal side, I was always veering towards creating and putting out what it was like a, a, a book, an album, a, a, a television format. And when Avi, um, started sharing with me some of the possibilities in this realm. I felt, uh, I mean, it was, it was a fascinating challenge of how could you use something uh, um, you know, as vegan as, as sometimes as, as almost could be transparent as a space to mm -hmm. manifest an idea or, 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 or a personality of, a, of an organization or a company. And I, I guess I was like a kind of hooked to the possibilities. I see. So, so it sounds like that uh, you started really a, as a, on the business side as a marketing uh, executive, and then you kind of shifted on the, on, you know, towards your passion, which is more on the creative yeah. side, you know, uh, becoming more and more uh, involved in photography. Uh, and, uh, and you kind of combined your both uh, strengths uh, in photography and design uh, and kind of focus on brand environments. That is very interesting. So really a, a good uh, backdrop to uh, your uh, expertise, but now that uh, we know a little bit about uh, how you started, can you, talk, can you talk about your definition of the branded environment but in the context of visual storytelling because i know visual storytelling is a fairly new term uh, usually referred to in the actually you guys would appreciate it because it's uh, typically came from graphic design from movie making photography mm -hmm. 
but not a whole lot in the marketing business context. And mm -hmm. what you guys are doing is really bringing another element to visual storytelling, which is uh, on the offline aspect where people actually can touch and engage uh, with the experience. So maybe you can, can you tell our audience a little bit about uh, your definition uh, for brand environments in the context of uh, visual storytelling? Sure. Um, I think in, in regards to visual storytelling, one, just to make, I know a lot of the listeners are going to follow you in that regard, but if we think of storytelling, I think the best example is like a children's book. Uh -huh. um, and I mean, we know it much more in terms of like a, 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 as an adult <laughs> um, uh, book, but if we think about it in terms of a children's book, and then we actually go through it and eliminate all of the copy, that's basically visual storytelling. You're telling a story with a visual means of, you know, creating a beginning, a middle, and an end for, for anyone. So, I mean, what we do doesn't necessarily have a beginning, middle, and an end, but um, in terms of brand environments, we are talking about a three-dimensional immersive space. Uh -huh. um, we are talking about, you know, when you walk in the doors of, you know, whether it's a restaurant, a company, a um, a hotel, a grocery store, whatever it is, once you walk in those doors, you know, everything that you're surrounded with um, is kind of giving you that essence of, of that brand and that organization and their values. Um, I think uh, one idea that just like popped into my head is like a supermarket. So mm -hmm. you go into a Publix, I mean, those people who are here in Florida know what Publix is yep. and what that is in terms of like how it promotes the masses. Now, if we think of walking into a, a store such as Trader Joe's, you have a very different environment and you have a very different set of core values. And they're not listing them when you walk in the door, right? right. But you get that understanding by the products that they have, by um, even the people that are there. And, and, and that's one of the things about brands. Um, is, you know, a brand isn't what you say it is as like a company owner. It's, a, it's more about what everyone else says it is. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, um, again, that, and that applies, like I said, across all sorts of, um, there's not like just one demographic of, you know, it's just grocery stores or whatever, but it's, you know, any sort of business or any sort of operation um, that requires space. Uh, I think that in both cases of, that you bring up, like uh, with uh, visual storytelling in general on, on the, or the environment design, uh, what we do, what, what, what it means for us is that the narrative, uh, both visually and in a larger sense, um, experientially, it, it is never uh, a, an accident, right? It's, it's never the result of, of, um, of, of omission or, or, or happenstances that just happen and were laid there. It's always right. the result of purpose and intent, you know, because... Uh, customers care and they have choices and, and if there's something that the, the millennial generation have taught us is that would be employees have choices too and you know, before we were, organizations were, were almost took um, you know, employees for granted I give you a check you come work for me uh, right. just turned that in their head it's like well I get the check anywhere why why would I come work with you so um, that forces, I mean, those choices require brands to connect, to create a, a stronger, a deeper bond at any level with, the, with their communities, with their, with their um, employees, with their um, clients, customers. And that cannot be, uh, it's, it's, it's a high price to pay 
to leave those to chance. So that's where we, we come in in the, again, this the story or the visual or the experience to, to, to lead the design of what that space is telling everyone. Yeah, no, this is fascinating. So it sounds really like you're trying to create a, a story, but without a word. It's a more, more of a visual like an experience that once you engage in it, you hopefully get the message, but it's typically visual, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yes, it's always visual. Yep, yep. So, so, you know, since we have marketers in the audience uh, that maybe are, their ears are perking up now, you know, okay, so there is a message, there's a communication, so what else can I get out of this? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> what, what would you say, like, uh, when you work with a client, uh, the typical business objectives you are asked to uh, accomplish uh, as part of your services? Yeah, I, it's something that definitely varies uh, per case and per client. Um, but a few examples um, would be what we talked about um, just a moment ago in terms of brand. So communicating kind of that brand identity, but their core set of values, um, who they are as an organization. So that's probably the most common. Mm -hmm. um, there, we could be communicating something as drastic as, let's say, two companies merge, right? And how that merger could create a sense of um, discomfort, anxiety, um, kind of this unknowing um, within their staff and within the corporation. And it could be a means of creating something around that, whether it is strictly a means of communication or whether it begins to engage um, the staff as well. That could be something um, that is another example. Um, something else would be like um, speaking in terms of uh, Google. So, you know, you want to create, uh, some of this goes back to values as well as, as a brand, but you want to create something that is um, what Gustavo touched on as well, that's uh, pulling employees, right? You're attracting employees and you're retaining employees. So, you know, might want to create an environment that is fun and collaborative and open, transparency. You know, it really depends um, per, per company and within the organization. And then, I don't know, one other thing that I think, do you want to talk about the last one? No, no, no. Oh, okay. um, I would say is uh, cultural relevance. So you find this much more so in, in terms of global companies. Um, but you still have like the global, you have the overarching brand, but then mm -hmm. you want to have, um, you want to be able to respect the, the local culture um, and the, the, you know, their way of doing things. So it's about creating an environment that is welcoming of that um, and, and completely relevant. So I think that um, if I may play with your question, you know, that, uh, sure. The, 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 the typical things that we're asked or, or, or clients ask from us, um, uh, something that, um, that is, I mean, sometimes the things that they don't and we, they, we wish they did, you know, it's, uh, the, 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 it seems to see we're still uh, in a growing stages of realizing the power of our environment. And, and what we hear a lot is like, well, yeah, my brand, my logo, my 
calls and, and, and not the, the, the nuances, the very powerful uses in which that space can be put to use, you know, like for, for, for the employees or the customers or uh, what are the dynamics, what they, what they expect, what they, what they can give them beyond a, a physical space to perform their, their, their tasks or duties of buying or, or, or working. And, and I think that we're seeing a little bit more of, of, of this, but, um, but we, we noticed that um, there's so much that they could be, and we, we are educated on that, but they could be obtaining or, or, or leading these towards, and, and they're not asking, I guess, because, because there's not enough education at what can be accomplished with this. So it sounds like uh, from what you describe is that uh, it's really covering, I mean, the, the most obvious base is really covering, just uh, express my identity and, you know, they have, as you said, Gustavo, a tendency to kind of, uh, you know, shove their logos as much as uh, possible. Correct. And on the second level, those are kind of mid-level, you know, they're looking for more broad expression of their uh, mission statement and... And the third one is those that really want to play a little bit and explore in communicating a new culture that they're advocating and that it's not been communicated, as you said, could be a result of a merger or change in the company environment that really requires people to understand better the story, what they're you know, what should be the motivation to come to work every morning. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wonder if you, you see any difference between uh, uh, clients that ask you for a brand and environment uh, in a customer-facing environment versus employee-facing? Um, well... Yeah, I mean, what I wanted to say something, sorry, I got, I got stuck in something that you were saying, is that it's, it, what's interesting there is that uh, you still see a lot of, 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 of confusing costs and consequences, right? Like a, a, a lot of people will tell, oh yeah, well, these companies, of course, they have cool environments because they're um, the Googles and you know, the Facebooks and the, 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 the ones that are like ahead of the, like the drive in the environment to be in tech or in finance or what have you. And they say, well, has it ever occurred to you that some of these companies might be there precisely because they embrace a certain culture rather than, oh, they got there so they can afford to embrace the culture. So, well, maybe they always did, and that is what took them there. So, again, it wasn't right, right. something I was thinking when, when, you were, when you were saying a little bit hang up on the, on the question before. But you see, do you see any, any difference between employee-facing and customer-facing assignments? Um, yeah, I think in regards to, yes. Yes, um, because there's different, there's different objectives. So um, the biggest difference is mostly for us within the discovery phase and how we go, you know, what we're trying to uncover. Um, the, the, but they are typically very, very different. Um, yeah, I think what has helped is that there have been companies already way before uh, we and others similar to us have entered this space that have tried to push and educate on the um, on the consumer retail experiences, brands like, uh, brands like Music or Mood or DMX, they were already, or Techno Media from Atlanta, they were already pushing and selling um, big uh, technical events and showing and studying and researching of the impact 
of, uh, of decent consumers. So I think that this has been around for a little bit longer. So you see companies a little bit more aware of the effort and monetization that needs to be uh, put in place with regards to consumers the, uh, or customers. There has not been, but ironically, there is a lot of research that tells you that the, the return on investment of having an, uh, um, uh, a, a space, uh, a tailor, like a, 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 a nurture space for your employees, but this research has not been used yet because mm. companies like ours did not exist. So, so it's only right. now that we're trying getting all of this research and, and, and starting to show them and say, hey, well, this is not a cost. This is, uh, is like savings that you're having. It'll cost you less to have the same employee if you have a, you know, a nice space that if you force them to work in a warehouse behind the airport. Right, right, right. Now, that, that's, that's fascinating. So it sounds like, you know, if we need to summarize, you know, if someone in our audience are interested to uh, entertain this uh, opportunity, then obviously the, it really depends, as you said, who is the audience. But if it's the employees, it's typically veers around uh, enhancing the, a certain culture to increase engagement, productivity. And if you're talking about employee facing, it's obviously probably a dual goal, I would, I would assume, which is more kind of a communicate the culture of the company, but at the same time, uh, create an environment that really supports uh, uh, increased sales <laughs> from customers. Right, right. That's <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. And let's not forget that lately with the competition of the, uh, yeah. the widespread of the, of the internet, you're specifically on retail, you're probably always better off from a price standpoint uh, buying something online. It's always going to be cheaper. There's just no right. way you want to compete with that. So the only thing that you could do to bring people to your store is leverage that with a, a positive experience, right? If, they, yeah. if they're not, they're buying the experience more than the product because of the product they could buy from their homes. Right, right, exactly. No, there's no substitute to the offline tangible experience of engaging with products. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so now that we know a little bit about, uh, you know, the typical business objective that you are uh, asked to uh, accomplish, uh, can you tell a bit, talk about, a little bit about uh, the end-to-end -end pro end -end process of how you go about uh, executing uh, a brand and environment design job who are the players? Because I know there, you said there is the art component, the design element, and the brand. So you probably look into apply all those three areas in your work. Yeah. Um, I'll talk from a very like, pragmatic standpoint in terms of uh, mm -hmm. what our process looks like. Um, so the if we divide it into kind of three steps, like the first step would be the discovery process. So that's mm -hmm. getting to know, you know, the company, the organization, understanding their brand, their values, um, and uh, kind of understanding the budget, the project scope. So getting all of that stuff kind of under our belt so that we can really begin to kind of start the design process. Um, step two at a high level again is, is development. So, um that is where essentially the design process starts so once we know and understand everything that we need to 
Um, you know, we, and in that, in that, even in that discovery, a little bit of like strategy in terms of how we begin to, or we design. Um, and then we begin with concept development, design development, um, and, and we'll even start, you know, the budget review process. Um, the reality is we're always working within that sort of um, scope in terms of what we do. Um, and at the same time as we're developing all of that, we are also um, beginning to take a look at kind of, and when we use the term art, we use it in a very broad sense. So um, a, a, an artist could be anything from, you know, the more traditional senses, you know, a painter, or a illustrator or something, but it could be something, it could be they do kinetic sculpture or they could be someone, you know, it could even be a musician, it could be, you know, that, that term is, is very broad. So um, based upon where our design is driving us, at the same time, we start to, um, Kind of do our due diligence in, in terms of who would be the right person to bring to the table or what style of work um, and 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 from there um, that's where we'll start to kind of vet those um, those different options before we really narrow down um, on to say kind of one uh, person and then the third would be delivery so that's actual like implementation um of the of the project itself so the actual installation um where we'll oversee all of the logistics project management final installation um and you know a lot of these things so if we talk on a broader scale which we haven't dove into too much so um a lot of what we do is is kind of at the intersection of brand design and art so it's a sweet spot you imagine like three interlocking circles um and that's because all of them come to play in terms of what we do so um the brand is clearly what we're communicating that's that's kind of the storytelling aspect the design is the process that we go through um to 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 kind of take the the project to life and then in terms of the implementation um and this is where we really see ourselves as a differentiator is is that that is then applied through a means of art um so rather than you, know, you can think of something super simple as like a graphic designer which is also a means of of uh, of an artist a graphic artist um but you know very often you'll just see something that's like printed and hung on the wall which is fine you know we could do that too you know it really but it varies on budgets and whatnot but um one of the things that we like to do when budgets are available um and not that it needs to be anything crazy but is to actually get that artist installing on site um uh, or um yeah again artists i use that very loosely but everyone's mind has a tendency to go towards like oh they're on-site painting but depending upon what is created um and, and on this on this point on the art uh, you also mentioned that you work with local artists that part of what you do is really to bring up local artists that's coming from the community so it's they actually adding an, a, another layer Yep. of expression that is aligned with the, with the company and their location. Yeah, I think, and that goes back to like cultural relevance. So uh, mm -hmm. if we can pull, the idea is to always try and pull local talent um, because the reality is, I mean, there's people who are doing amazing work all over the place. And uh, right. there's, even here in Miami, there's tons of, there's tons of talent. Um, 
I mean, Winwood is a great example, but let's be honest, outside of muralists, there's, there's tons of other people that are doing amazing things. So it's really showcasing that talent and giving them a place to shine and, and, you know, bringing more opportunities to the table for more people. I think that we're very firm believers and supporters on the power of communities, mm -hmm. right? Perhaps because of um, the chance we, we, we met, uh, we started working um, in, in um, Bedford, in Williamsburg, New York, when, when all of that area was uh, uh, up and coming and, 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 and booming. And, uh, um, it, it, and, and then later on, we, we saw that happening here in Windward, as Avi mentioned. So I think that we have, and we have friends uh, working, uh, and we kind of saw it in Shoreditch in, in, in London. Is it how the development or the, the, the explosion of certain areas benefited everyone, everyone involved in this. Uh, it, it created a, a, an energy, if you will, that, that made uh, the business that were there thriving, the new business wanted to engage and push what was happening. So we, we've seen firsthand and we believe a lot in what um, a community can do for everyone. So I think that our idea, whenever possible and viable, to involve local artists has to do with this uh, belief and say that well, if we can just create something, an ecosystem that, that pushes and, and, and develops an identity, it, uh, it benefits everyone because it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't eat away at your own personality. The companies uh, and organizations operating in these you know, enclaves are still very unique to themselves, but the, the being in a thriving community has undoubtedly helped all of that. Absolutely. And, and I'm kind of wondering, uh, <clears throat> how do you, or are you coming across this tension between, uh, you know, when you are working with local artists and, you know, the demands of the brand? So how do you reconcile, you know, the pure art that the local artist would like to express with the demand of the client that sometimes want to shove their logo <laughs> everywhere? <laughs> and I, I would start by saying, I think that's what the de design process is so um, important mm -hmm. uh, because it's through it's through that process we kind of start to tailor into something a little bit more specific and the reality is that in, in terms of like a final you know at that point it's still a draft piece because then the artist then takes that and interprets um, but uh, also when we're when we're speaking with the artist in terms of their involvement or, or whatnot you know we are very transparent in terms of what we're doing and they have to be on board. Mm -hmm. um, it, this isn't about, you know, showcasing like, yes, we probably pulled them to the table for their style that they do and what they, what they um, can also bring to the table. So, um, but I, I think it, it's a, it's a nice working relationship and, you know, you may have an instance where an artist says, you know, I'm not interested yeah. and that's fine. Like there's, like I said, there's mm -hmm. plenty of, there's plenty of talent out there and there's plenty of people who are willing, um, and, and wanting to kind of get more involved, especially in, you know, this corporate space or, um, and working with brands because at the end of the day, they can, they, they, they can pay. So <laughs> uh, I, I do think that there's a, that we are in, in, in the midst of, of a process, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's like a multi-generational process. I mean, if we, if we go back to the eighties or seventies, there was a, a very clear line that you would not cross. If you were an artist, you did not do commercial 
anything. It meant that you sold out. And it was very, no, I'm an artist. I'm not going to be. And now you're seeing kids that are like a super successful artist that want to work with Puma or Converse designer shoes. And there's not no shame anymore to say like, oh, wow, because I have the, at the same time. So I think that we're seeing that uh, to be more of like a merge thing with art and, and, and commerce are not necessarily uh, uh, antithetical and they could just work together. Um, but what you mentioned about artists, it also happens, and I think that you, you mentioned that like with, with companies too. Some some companies are so uh, um, still old school about, oh, my brand is my my logo, so I just want someone to paint it. Uh, and, and that's hurtful to the artist too because then it's zero in interest for, right. you know, for, for them to do that. I'm, so, some, so we have both. We have artists that are old school and they don't want to do anything that perceives as commercial. And we have companies that, don't want to embrace this new uh, uh, this new field. I think that we we have um, uh, this. We, we, sometimes we have to teach companies that, that you know that names, uh, signs, symbols. Those those are not your brand. Those are those are visual yes. metaphors that that we use to communicate what your brand is about. But they're not it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think what you're saying, uh, uh, Gustavo, is very interesting because I think. Uh, and I'm guessing, you know, that uh, part of the openness from artists' uh, perspective uh, to participate uh, in, in such projects, especially in the young generation, as you said, probably has to do with, uh, you know, what we're seeing today with those, um, you know, mega influencers on Instagram, for example, mm -hmm. that are, or YouTube that created something so unique that's garnered, you know, millions of viewers and followers and the brands are commissioning them to mm -hmm. basically be kind of their spokesperson uh, obviously declaring this to their audience so it's not done uh, undercover but right yeah. so it's a new breed i think of uh, grassroots uh, mega influencers that uh, i always like to say that basically when you look at the evolution of the internet it's probably like uh, you know, 10 years have passed since, uh, you know, the introduction of uh, YouTube or, you know, all the social media and people had enough uh, airtime to train on the trade and all the mega influencers just, you know, surfaced to the top. And that's where, you know, because of our fragmented communication landscape, uh, brands started to, to pay attention to those people and maybe reach them because of their authenticity and their storytelling that uh, they are able to uh, pr produce. So mm -hmm. I guess that, that's part of the, the sentiment that I'm hearing from your uh, description of, you know, young people that entering the, the space. Exactly. I mean, the thing that um, maybe you do bring a point that it's not the brands or the artists that drove this merge forward, it was more the users and the public in general. They started yeah. losing the, the, the distinction between the two, right? It's like, well, I, 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 I'm, I like this, I believe this, but it's my shoe or a thing that I hang in my, in, in my wall. They're not, what is it, the intrinsic difference to me? There's none. There's two things that represent me and convey something that I believe of myself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Great. And... One thing I'm kind of wondering, since you've been operating in this space for a while now, any failures or things that you've learned along the way that uh, 
people that are looking to be involved should watch for? Like, um, major uh, I, I, I would say that more, rather than, I don't know if there's been a specific failures, I think that in a larger sense, there's been um, a, a, a failure to breach a certain cultural divide. You know, it seems that there are certain companies or organizations which they don't, don't share or, or don't seem to have this value themselves. And, and, and I think that the, the, the biggest learning curve for us has been to accept that there are companies that just can't be educated on this. There, there are companies that do not share these beliefs intrinsically, I guess. Mm. And, and we're done trying to uh, evangelize them. I think that we, we right. realize that it's a, it's a, if they don't get it, it is just a waste of time. And, and I think that that has been the biggest failure or, or, or the biggest. It took a time to realize, hey, I mean, they're not seeing the benefits of, uh, or, or again, they don't have it in their own culture to, to, um, to nurture their employees, to, to believe in, 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 in what and how you communicate who you are as a brand. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's been accepting that we're better, we, we don't pursue these type of companies, and when we notice that it's hate, oh God, I know someone who can paint your walls, whatever you want, but I, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to go and, there. And do you think this is, has to do with the size of the company, as, you know, the larger the company, the... No. the no, it, it, I don't think it has to do with their, with their, with their, with their money, with their funding, or with their size. I think it has to do with uh, a, a cultural uh, yeah. Yeah. belief. I think it goes back to what we were saying. There's, there's extremes, right? There's extremes on the corporate side. There's extremes with artists. And, and uh-huh. you know, we're not trying to reach out, you know, everyone. You know, there's right. a sweet spot for us to exist and, and, and operate, and that's where we focus our attention. And if we get involved with someone and they're just like, you know, resistance, resistance, resistance. Well, you know, it's probably not a good fit, and we might have to step away from that. Absolutely. Um, regardless of, of you know, mm-hmm. you know, financial, you know, means or, or whatever the case may be. You know, they may be, you know, the company you've always dreamed to work with, and then you get to working with them, and you're like, um, we're not, we're not seeing eye to eye, and, right. and knowing that that's okay to to kind of, you know, the it's going to be better in the end for, for everyone. Sure. No, absolutely. So, so when you, you, you do work with the happy clients that are really <laughs> loving what you do, uh, what is the typical uh, success criteria that uh, they're looking for after the project is done? Um, I don't know that there's one specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it also depends upon what they're asking for, right? What were their right. main objectives and goals? So, you know, based on that, it could vary quite a bit. Um, a lot of times, you know, when we're talking about like a corporate environment, we're talking about, again, employee retention and overall morale. Right. Um, those are things that can be noticed kind of right away. Um, there's surveys, I'm guessing, right? And yeah, surveys, and even just you know leadership getting a sensibility of like how things are. Yes, if you want, if we want something measurable, yeah, we could send out a survey. It'd be very interesting to send one out prior, um, and that can be a part of the discovery process. Um, and then send one out at the end, and then even send one out like you know six months, uh, a year later to kind of get um, 
uh, more feedback. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll have the case where, you know, you do one of these things and, you know, right after everyone's like, yeah, this is great and whatnot. And then a year later it was like, oh, that was just a quick fix for dealing with something and it hasn't carried across. So um, you come across all sorts of things. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that is. So, so it sounds like that basically for an employee facing a project, it's a, when the job is about a, driving a cultural change or really bringing morale, then you obviously have very quantitative tools like surveys yeah. that you can actually and run. Then, and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then clearly if we're talking about something that is, you know, consumer facing, if we're talking yeah. about retail experience or hospitality or whatnot, you know, that's much easier to measure than say the, the kind of corporate setting, you know, uh, you know, you can measure your sales <laughs> right. quite easily. So, you know, yep. a different means of measurement, but, but um, the impact is, is, is quite, um, it's more evident than most people like realize at the beginning. They always feel it at the, when it's done. Right. But, um, I remember when I was, I was younger and I had, uh, living in New York and most of well, a few of my friends were working for Facebook and, and Google was these companies were starting and they were, um, such heavy promoters of the working environment and spaces. I mean, they were constantly talking about all the, mm. the perks and the things that were new at the time, right? And they were, you know, entry-level employees. And still, that was something that was diff very different because and never in my life had, a, had I experienced that. You know, like people went to work, they got some, you know, relatively little money, and, and no one felt that they needed to be loyalists to the company and yet they were, and I think that that's what uh, the, the first thing that companies I mean, are shocked to see. I mean, how when they change these things, all of a sudden their employees become their biggest fans. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So now that we actually get to know a little bit about the business objectives you are uh, asked to accomplish, you know, the success criteria, can you, you give maybe, you know, one you, Abby, and one uh, example you, uh, Gustavo, about a project that uh, you really think uh, is a great example of brand environment design? It doesn't have to be yours. It could be from the industry as well. Sure. Um, one that I would say we've already touched on, which is uh, very obvious, and I think everyone probably listening can, get a, can relate to, is going back to the topic of Google. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's someone who uh, puts a lot of effort into every office that they create. Um, again, it's every office is different. Um, every office has the, a cultural kind of flair. Um, and, you know, they have outside of, you know, if we talk about the experience on a more holistic terms and not just the physical experience, um, some of the things Gustavo was touching on, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, free food. So they have various cafes and kitchens where all the food within them is free. Um, you know, things like massage rooms. Oh, wow. That employees can book. There's a whole, you know, certain offices have like whole wellness centers with gyms. And um, so again, you know, they're creating a very specific type of culture. Um, and I think one of the biggest you know, they're clearly a leader. They're clearly a leader in what they're doing. And, and as are a lot of, you know, there's a number of tech companies that are kind of following that route. Um, 
I think that as we converse and speak with companies, it's it's really digging deep and asking questions too about you know what brand culture they're creating, um, because it's not just about following. Clearly, what they're doing is working well. They have brand advocates who work for them, and that's the hardest thing to create. Mm -hmm. uh, so really, as we engage with a company is, is get them thinking about what is the brand culture that they're creating and why. Yep. Um, because if they're just following, that's probably not the right route. Um, and to get them thinking a little bit more, like um, another example, just to kind of get off of Google, we just, yep. they're, they're an easy target in this yeah, regard, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, is, is WeWork, right? Um, and again, uh, still a very iconic, you know, kind of space type, but space type aside, um, those who work uh, for WeWork corporate, you know, they do what they call summer camp every year. Um, and they go off and they spend a certain number of days and it's basically like a festival for their employees where they have music and yoga and all of this stuff. So that's kind of another extension of like, what are we, what are, as a corporate, as a corporation, like, what are you creating? What are you, what are you giving to your employees? Because at this point in time, like a paycheck is kind of not enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really like what you, <clears throat> what you said about uh, branded culture. Because uh, I know culture is a very loaded term and uh, <laughs> I just heard, you know, a nice definition that Seth Godin uh, provided that culture in a very simplest term is really a, the story that uh, people are telling themselves in a certain location mm -hmm. and it has to be more than a survival, you know, you know, washing your face every morning. It has to be more about, you know, customs, norms. And hopefully, I guess, uh, from the work that you guys are doing, you know, you're trying to communicate non-verbally a visual story that you hope that uh, the employees or the customer will tell themselves and tell others mm -hmm. because yeah. it's got to work both ways. You got to motivate themselves and also make them proud, tell it elsewhere. Yeah. We uh, want that culture to come through in that experience, whatever that experience is. There's, there's, uh, there's another yeah. example that I'd like to, to, to touch upon because it's local. Uh, yeah. and it was so um, ahead of its time in the early nineties. Uh, the Cisneros Television Group opened their offices here, mm -hmm. and they were the first one. They they engaged a company, an architectural firm, to design the space that specialized in in art galleries and museums. They didn't do offices; they did museums, um, and they created one of the first, like at least here, like open spaces with uh, all new materials of the time, things that you would have not seen incorporate, you know, like uh, right. um, glass and concrete and, and, and you know, like uh, new fabrics and textures. And the, the morale of this is that uh, they were able, a small company as they were, to recruit uh, executives from Viacom, HBO, Giants at the time, mm -hmm. based solely on the hype that their offices created. That's so, so that, that there you go, the power of, you know, having a, 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 of what your space says about you, right? Because that's what we face all the time. It's like, oh, you can paint your colors everywhere and you put your logos on every wall. And what does that say about your brand? That you're boring and repetitive and... and, and yeah, exactly. That's your message? Yep. Um, 
No, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So I really want to wrap up and basically kind of uh, uh, finish our uh, conversation uh, with uh, maybe if you can uh, give our listeners, our viewers, uh, maybe your top three tips of, you know, how they should, uh, what they should pay attention to when they think of getting started in uh, brand environment design. Both as a, I would say for, you know, marketers that would like to commission a project like this? Mm -hmm. I think number one is be open-minded. Um, that's one of the most important. Yeah. <laughs> it's not rocket science either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but come to it not with an answer, because a lot of times feel like they have to come to the table with something. Um, right. But come with an open mind and be willing and to go through that discovery process, because that's where we kind of like dig through all the stuff. Sure. Um, and, and the same thing, they might have come in with a specific idea of what we all were going to create. And the reality is like we may come up with something completely and utterly different. Um, so yeah, just being open-minded and, and, you know, not having like preconceived mm -hmm. thoughts about what things should be or how they should go or whatnot. I think that another important point to me take is uh, realizing the enormous power that lays in the in what the space that you're providing to your customers or employees says about you. You know, like it's not a, it's not just a second thought. Was you need a desk anyway? Yeah, well, you do. But I mean, you're, you're leaving on the table a lot of um, return for that money. You know, if, if you do that right, uh, you can have you can save on marketing money. You can save on your employee costs by having a, a, a meaningful proposal space that, that is exciting and vibrant. Because if not, you have to spend a lot of money to convey the same message that your space could have uh, conveyed from the beginning. Right, right. So absolutely be open-minded and mm -hmm. really pay more attention about the, the space you are trying to work with because sometimes the space is you know the main character in your story <laughs> right. I mean, you're, you're, you're paying good marketing money yeah. to tell your customers how different you are and how unique and yeah, then they yeah. go to your office and it's the same as any other place like well which which message do you think speaks the loudest absolutely and at the end of the day those those the people who work there aren't going to be brand ambassadors they're not going to be like promoting right. that message because the message that they live in is completely different than the right. one that they're pitching to their customers so it's kind of like right. balancing all of that stuff out absolutely no this is fantastic well, so <laughs> i think uh, i think we could uh, have you know chatted for hours on this subject <laughs> sure. because it's exciting uh, but for uh, our audience that would like to learn more, how they can contact you? Sure. Um, you can, easiest thing would be go to our website. Um, it's chilipop.co. Um, and we have a contact form there. You can also email either of us, Abby with an EY at chilipop.co or Gustavo. Gustavo at chilipop.co. Yeah, that's cool without an M. You know, like people like tend to yeah. automatically type that M at the end. And it's like, oh, find you guys. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Abby and Gustavo. It's been such an amazing time having uh, this uh, chat with you today. And for our audience, we hope to see you again uh, in our next show. Stay tuned. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. 
The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes Store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.